0: Hi everybody this is Dixon with the Southwest Collective and welcome to episode four of Southwest Side Stories. I'm here with Jose and we're right outside of uh, Edwards Elementary in Archer Heights and they had a back-to-school fair earlier today. Uh, Jose do you want to talk a little bit about what was going on here?
1: Yeah we had a lot of different um, organizations and uh, airplanes and uh, businesses from the community kind of welcome everybody back by selling back-to-school merchandise and we also got to showcase our new uh, turf field there used to be four uh, trailers back there where our fourth our, I think it was third and fourth graders had to uh, had to learn now we have a beautiful park and turf field so it was a nice event to just welcome everybody back uh, you know during COVID
0: yeah that's great Um, And the turf field is really nice. Um, There's kids out there playing right now. Uh, My daughter's out there playing right now, um, having a good time. I also saw that uh, there were COVID vaccinations going on today. Um, Esperanza Health Centers had a table here and they were doing vaccines. Uh, Southwest Collective is gonna be doing vaccinations um, in Garfield Ridge, along with a lot of other community organizations, including Esperanza, Uh, that are going to be working across the southwest side to try to get more people vaccinated. And for this episode, we're going to be talking with a physician from Esperanza, which is very exciting. Um, So what are you curious, uh, Jose, to hear from the folks there in terms of, you know, what's going on with COVID, what's going on with public health in general? in our
1: community. You know, um, right now, the big topic in the uh, community is everybody going back to school, hence the fair today. So Esperanza was here helping um, parents and students get vaccinated. They'll be working with Southwest Collective to get more vaccines. And I'm just wondering, you know, what is the, the scope? You know, do they feel like uh, this will be enough to prevent another lockdown to keep our schools open or if they still um, are, can, you know, give us some more clarity on the science of it all. So looking forward to the interview.
0: So we're here today with uh, Dr. Jasmine Saavedra from Esperanza Health Centers, and uh, why don't you just introduce yourself and uh, talk a little bit about how you came to practice and um, how you came to practice at Esperanza?
2: Yeah, so I'm uh, Dr. Jasmine Savedra, like you just said. Um, I am a pediatrician at Esperanza Health Centers. Um, so I am originally from Hammond, Indiana, which is where I currently live. So it's the border. I actually live, uh, my left door neighbor is Indiana. My right door neighbor is Illinois. So I live right in between. Um I uh, came to work at Esperanza. I did my residency at the University of Illinois. And since I was in medical school, I knew I wanted to work with an underserved Latino population. I actually received a scholarship so that when I was done with residency, I would um, focus my care in an underserved community. Um, and so Esperanza um, was one of the first places I interviewed at, and I fell in love with it. I loved their mission. I loved the population. So um, I took the job and I've been there for a little over two years now. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. And I wonder if you can tell us just a little bit about Esperanza for those who don't know. It's a network of health centers uh, focused on the southwest side of the city. But uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, about what Esperanza is like?
2: Yeah, so Esperanza Health Center is a federally qualified um, health care center. Our mission is to serve um, high quality health care uh, to anyone, uh, regardless of their insurance status, um, immigration status. Um, and then we work with them um, depending on their finances and what they uh, can pay for their healthcare care needs. Um, we have, um, I believe, now five clinics um, in the southwest side. And uh, the majority of our population, do are Latinos, but we service um, anyone who comes into our clinic. Um, and yeah. All
0: right, great. Um, and of course, the, the major health story of the last uh, year and a half, two years, has been the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about when the pandemic first started, um, how did you have to adjust? Because I remember, you know, uh, a, a lot of physicians, a lot of appointments were being canceled. A lot of, uh, you know, uh, care that was not urgent was being canceled. How did you pivot when COVID first started?
2: Yeah, I feel like one day I was making dinner plans, and the next day I was making contingency plans for very terrible things that could happen. Um, the clinic, Espinosa Health Center, I thought, um, you know, they adapted so quickly. Um, We were able to modify so many strategies first to provide um, testing for the Southwest community and then later to provide uh, vaccinations. Um, We adjusted our hours. uh, We started creating the mass vaccination sites. we had COVID 19 testing, I think, at 1.6, like seven days a week. Um, we also provided vaccines at back to school fairs. Uh, we provided a lot of informational vaccine sessions once the vaccines came out to talk about why the vaccine came out so quickly, its efficacy, its safety, um, because we wanted everyone to be well informed uh, to make a, a well informed decision. And then we also provided Uber transportation to the vaccine sites. Um, but yes, it felt like it all happened from one day to the next. Um, our clinics, uh, the amount of patients that weren't showing up was um, phenomenal. I mean, there was, I remember at one point I was sitting there just thinking like, I'm not sure what to do with my time. I have no patients. Um, but I started doing the testing, I uh, used my time wisely and I provided you know, what the community needed at that time uh and now we're finally starting to see all the patients coming back in getting their school physicals and getting their annual exams.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um I definitely want to talk a, more about COVID and more about the vaccines. Um but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, you know, all of those missing appointments, all of the patients who were receiving care, maybe regular care, maybe care for chronic conditions, all of a sudden you know that that drives up but there's a lot of non covid health conditions that you know really have needed to be treated and you know we've seen some things get worse around covid over the last year and a half as a physician as someone who's you know interested in the overall health of your patients how do you how how do you deal with that
2: yeah, so when we came back, um, kind of full time back into the clinic, full mode of seeing patients um, in clinic and not over the phone or over video conferencing, um, the first thing that we all noticed was the significant weight gain of many, many patients. So, um I think the um, they just came out. Esperanza just came out with the press release that now the amount of pediatric patients that are defined as overweight or obese is 56%, um, which is an almost a 10% increase um, compared to pre-pandemic. Um, which we know um, being overweight predisposes us to other um, health conditions. So we're now seeing an increase also in um, people who are. Uh, diagnosed with either pre-diabetes or diabetes, um, all which are concerning because we haven't seen these patients in a year and a year and a half. So we haven't had a chance to talk about lifestyle modifications, diet modifications, or the repercussions of such significant weight gain. Um, I think I've seen anywhere in the last 15, 18 months weight gain from 15 15 pounds to 50 pounds. Um, So it was pretty significant. Um, I think the other thing we really noticed specifically in our adolescent population, was the effect on their mental health. Um, We saw a significant increase in mental health conditions like depression, anxiety, and then other mental health concerns. So trying to get them all in to see, you know, counselors or psychiatric services, if that's what they need, has been difficult because now we have a surge of this, these mental health concerns and trying to get them all in at one time is is hard. So some patients are waiting two to three weeks um, and then just making sure to talk about the importance of scheduling these annual exams with your doctor and then also follow-ups are very important. Um, I think one of the other things we saw was that kids uh, two and under weren't receiving the required vaccinations. Um, so we saw, uh, a large dip in the amount of like even babies who were coming in um, for their vaccines or for their ex- exams every two, every three months. I know there's some kids I hadn't seen like since they were one month old and now they're a year or a year and a half old. And a lot of things that you're supposed to talk about during critical things that you're supposed to talk about with the parents and examine the patient. So um, yeah, there's a lot of things now, now we're dealing with that are a repercussion of the Pandemic and people not coming in to see their physicians.
0: I just want to make a quick note that one of the things the Southwest Collective has been doing over the past year plus is is food drives because we see you know the impact on people's health of not necessarily being able to come in and see the doctor is one thing, but there's also all sorts of other things in the community that impact people's health and. If someone is out of work and not necessarily able to afford, you know, we know that uh, fresh food and healthy food can be more expensive uh, than less healthy food. So that can have an impact, too.
2: Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's much easier to buy um, like a whole meal at McDonald's than to buy produce to make a salad or something at home. So, yes, it's completely understandable. So that's fantastic that you guys are doing that for the community.
0: Yeah. Um, so. Esperanza is, uh, again, like you said, a network of health centers uh, around the southwest side of Chicago. Um, Can you talk a little bit about, you know, maybe what are the big uh, health concerns, the big public health concerns within our communities? You know, what are you seeing from, you know, the patients you see on a day to day basis? And then just what you know about uh, the southwest side of the city? What are what are some things that uh, that jump out at you?
2: Yeah, so like I was saying before, I think the one of the biggest things we were seeing is the the increase in um, people who are now defined as being overweight or obese. Um, I think that's one of the biggest challenges we're seeing right now is, is working um, for someone to maintain their weight is easier than trying to have someone lose weight, as I'm sure many people know. Um, and it's difficult uh, for many people, not specifically just the southwest side, but I'm sure Um, surrounding neighborhoods are facing the same um, issues Um, and then um, we have a a large Latino populations and um, you know it's sometimes it's difficult to have the conversation about um, a kid's weight or a patient's weight um, with the Latino population because they tend to see someone who is you know, of normal weights or overweight to be meaning that they're well-fed, they're, they're healthy. And so having those conversations, having those cultural barriers is, is difficult sometimes. Um, but we're doing the best we can. We're scheduling follow-ups for weight checks and getting them, educating them on, um, healthy weights, healthy diets, and then healthy lifestyles that they should carry forward for their own health. We're trying to empower them to take their health and, um, make the best decisions they can with the information they
0: have. Yeah, definitely. And another thing that we hear from a lot of community members is there's a lot of industry on the Southwest side. Um, And, you know, with industry can come pollution or environmental hazards. Um, You know, if you have uh, families coming in, children coming in, and you're seeing asthma or you're seeing other conditions, you know, um, what what sort of uh, advice or recommendations are you giving to people? You know while they're living amid maybe um you know more industry than might otherwise be preferable in terms of
1: someone's health
2: yeah so when people come in with things like allergies or um you know trouble breathing or shortness of breath or even asthma um you know we provide them with the medication close follow-up um specialist uh referrals when needed um there's no way to obviously avoid if that's where they live. It's not like I can ask them to pick up and leave. Um, so we work with them within their communities. Um, I think the the best tool we provide with them, where we provide them, is education and then the resources they need, um, so that they are aware that they do live in an industry populated uh, neighborhood. Um, and so I think just talking to them, understanding them. I think understanding that this is where they live and working with them to make you know, healthy decisions.
0: I definitely want to talk more about COVID-19 um, and the work that Esperanza has been doing around that uh, ever since the pandemic began. Um, I wonder if you could start with testing because you said you were doing at one point Seven days a week testing. Um, there have been times when testing has been sparse around the southwest side. Uh, I know the collective was, you know, trying to prod the city to um, increase the amount of testing around here, um, and the work that Esperanza has has done around that has been really important. Um, but can you talk a little bit about testing, the importance of people knowing their status, um, and what you were doing since the beginning there?
2: Yeah, so I think um, we started, we were one of the first ones to, to ramp up testing fairly quickly. Uh, first, it was one or two providers and they were... Um, you know, maybe doing 15, 20 tests a day. And then it just, um, with the need that increased, we had more providers and we were doing, I think, up to like 70 per provider a day. Um, So we provided um, testing and we made sure to advertise to the community because we know that underserved communities uh, sometimes have healthcare disparities. So we wanted to bridge that gap and we wanted to provide them With something local that they can come get tested and not have to look on the internet or have to drive really far to go get uh, a test, Um, because, as we know, on the southwest side, a lot of our uh, patients, a lot of our population had to continue working and so there was a large need for testing because if they worked at a factory or if they worked at a grocery store, they needed, um, and they had exposure, they needed to get tested to return to work. And so it was vital for them to have, um, easy access. So, um, we were providing testing at two different sites and, at different hours. And we, we, you know, we realized that at one point people needed to come on the weekend. So we started opening, um, testing sites on the weekends. And, um, I can't tell you, I personally tested for many, many months and I can't tell you the amount of stories that and like the, the just the gratitude that we were there. We actually had people from um, much like uh, north side neighborhoods driving to our testing site because um, it was so readily available. Um, so being that, um, you know, that, that focal point for our community, I think was very important. And I, I think it helped a lot of families put them at ease. Um, we also provided visits to our our patients. So when they got tested, they actually received a a personal phone call from a provider um, explaining their test and then explaining, you know, whether they were positive or negative, the need to quarantine, um, the need to test or repeat testing. Um, So I think we did that fairly quickly. We ramped up really quickly we organized it um we were doing it in the dead of winter and then in the dead of summer um there was just like a white tent that was protecting us i remember we were doing it in rain i could not feel my toes um but now we have it's it's a lot more uh it's a lot nicer now so we don't yeah. go through that but um even now because of the delta variant um we're finding a need again so we're always adapting to whatever the community needs
0: yeah One of the things that, you know, we've heard a lot from the Department of Public Health and from others is that, you know, if somebody uh, tests positive, it's important to quarantine. But a lot of people on the southwest side live in multi-generational homes. They live with multiple other people in the home. Um, And that's just the reality of the situation for a lot of people. So when you're having these conversations with somebody who may test positive, but they're living in the home with, you know, parents, grandparents, children, grandchildren, et cetera, uh, you know, what sort of practical advice can you give to somebody who is in that situation, uh, but who has tested positive?
2: Yeah, so we, um, I don't live in a multi-generational home, but I, I, I'm i Mexican-American, so we rely heavily on my family. So my contingency plans also involved my, my parents who are my caregivers for my child and my sisters who, they are also taking care of their children. So, um, similarly, I would explain, you know, that it's hard. It's hard when one person tests positive and everyone is kind of scared because now they've all had dinner together. They all, one lives on the second floor, one lives on the third floor. So, um, the best advice we could give was if possible, quarantine yourself and have like the rest of the, like the immediate family that lives with you tested to see if they can be watched by someone else. I mean, It was impossible. I had some families say like, there's no way around it. I'm going to have to expose or have contact with these people, I'm the only caregiver. Um, So it was a lot of difficult conversations but um, every situation was different. So we worked with each of the families and tried to find the best plan to expose as little people as possible within the home um, to offer testing to those in the home, especially if they were elderly. and then just to come out with a well-laid plan. Um, but I would, I will say that each situation was a little bit different depending on who worked where, who lived where, how many kids there were in the home, how many people with, were immunocompromised. Um, so it was a lot of, it was a long conversation with these families. Um, there was a lot of questions you had to ask about the entire family, not just themselves. So, um, I think they appreciated that, that, you know, there was some plan and they didn't feel guilt having to have those, make make those
0: decisions on their own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's important for people to hear. Um, And again, like the practical advice, there's the ideal thing that people can do, but people can't always do the ideal thing. Um, So we go from testing to all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, it's been worked on for a long time, but there's a vaccine that gets approved um, for emergency use in, uh, I believe mid-November, early December, um, of 2020. I wonder if you can just tell me what was your reaction when you heard there's a COVID vaccine?
2: Oh, I was ecstatic. Yeah, I was like, where do I sign up? When do I get my vaccine? Um, I was, I mean, I can't even describe the, the joy I felt when that, when that happened. Um, and then, you know, my joy just kept going up as people were being allowed to get vaccinated, um, you know, depending on, not depending on their age or their health status. Um, I think it was, Hard to once it became more frustrating, I guess, when only some people can get vaccinated. And I had other patients, you know, tell me, like, I really want to get vaccinated. I want to go back to work. I want to protect myself. Um, so it was also a little bit of frustration um, not being able to just vaccinate everyone right away. But um, yeah, when that vaccine came out, I think it was, I got vaccinated in December. So it was incredible. So we were one of the first health centers to actually receive vaccines in order to distribute them. So we participated fairly heavily um, in that first uh, citywide phase of vaccinations. Um, we collaborated closely uh, with the city to be able to distribute those vaccines equitably. So we were focusing on Little Village, Gage Park, um, uh I'm drawing a blank here, Uh, Chicago Lawn, and then the Inglewood neighborhoods. Um, And because of that collaboration, we were able to vaccinate more than 100,000 patients. Uh, We had mass vaccination sites. And so, you know, it wasn't hard to find a place to get vaccinated. We were trying to make it as um, easy as possible for patients to just come in and get vaccinated so that it wasn't a, I have to make an appointment or I need to show proof of insurance. Um, So it was um, th- those first couple of months. It was great to see how many people were getting vaccinated.
0: Yeah, and you talk about you know vaccinating a hundred thousand people. That's that's great to hear, and that's obviously a lot of people coming through Esperanza clinics. Um, you know, I imagine that there are a lot of patients from the community that you're seeing come in for vaccinations that you haven't seen before. Um, yes. So I wonder what that experience was like too. This is. It's kind of unique in U.S. healthcare, at least, that you can just go in. You don't have to present insurance. You don't have to present proof of citizenship. You don't have out-of-pocket costs. You go in, you get your vaccination, and and uh, and and the only follow-ups you have would be, you know, um, for for health or side effects or anything like that. So.
2: Yeah, so we made it known that if you did need an appointment because you had questions about side effects, uh, even after the fact, it wasn't necessarily scheduled that you can always call either to come be seen or you can have um, a telemedicine appointment, which I think patients appreciated, especially if they were having side effects and they needed um, a, a work for work, for note for work, so they're not be able to go. Um, I think they appreciated the accessibility of having access to a provider. Um, it was when we started vaccinating adolescents. Um, we had more on one, one-on-one contact when they came in, and yes, yeah, some people we just we've never seen. And there was other health concerns <laughs> that we wanted to address. And so I thought it was a perfect opportunity to talk about those things, even if it wasn't in detail, because they had their own pediatrician. Just reminding them, like, hey, you need to address these issues with your primary care doctor, and you should make that appointment coming up um, because it's been you know, X amount of months or years that you haven't seen a doctor. So, um, I thought it was great because we got people plugged in back into their own, to see their own physician. And if they didn't have a physician, they now knew about Esperanza and knew that we saw anyone regardless of their insurance status or immigration status. And so we were able to plug them in, uh, with a primary care doctor.
0: So we mentioned side effects a little bit. I want to talk about you know maybe some of the common questions that people might have around the vaccine. And I think one of the really common ones is what are the side effects? How worried do I need to be? Am I going to miss work? That sort of thing.
2: Yeah, so um, lots of side effect questions. Um, we all know now they're all over the news. The most common one is pain at the site of the injection, body aches, fatigue, headaches, low-grade fevers. Um, I always just talk to my patients about how the side effects are short, right? So one to two days or none at all, depending on the person. Um, And that's the, the risk of um, getting COVID and not knowing how your body is going to react is a, is a much greater risk than not getting than getting vaccinated and having side effects for one or two days. Um, but yes, we get questions. Um, we did have some people miss work. Um, I know some employers had told patients like you can just take the one or two days off afterwards without a note because we know some people get really strong side effects. Um, And then just talking to patients about how, unfortunately, it's just luck of the draw how your body reacts. Um, Some people get nothing, some people get all of the side effects. Um, And most people, uh, once they realize that it's such a short period of time, um, don't mind the side effects. I think they worry more about the actual COVID um, infection. Um, And then the other, concerned that we're having hearing from a lot of patients, it's not necessarily those short-term side effects. It's they believe that there might be long-term side effects that haven't yet been discovered.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so. so what do you tell patients who are concerned about that?
2: Um, so I talk about the science behind the vaccine, um, which is sometimes uh, gets a little bit complicated, but I talk about how the technology has been um, used uh, for many many years. It's not new technology. It's not like we just picked up some new science and decided to trial it out. Um, mRNA technology and the technology that Johnson and Johnson use have been used for multiple many years. Um, I tell them that the participan- and the participants in the the clinical trials have now. It's been what, now two years or more that have gotten that vaccine and no long-term side effects have been um, discovered. And I talked to them about the long-term side effects of having a COVID infection that we're starting to see now, the long-haul COVID um, patients. Um, So we we talk about, again, the risks and benefits and compare the two, you know, COVID infection versus the COVID vaccine. Um, And I find that most most patients, once you have that, you know, very logical conversation with them, they are willing to get vaccinated.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, I know another question that comes up is if a, somebody has had COVID in the past or believes they had COVID sometime over the past year and a half, um, you know, they think that they have uh, some built up immunity to it. So, what do you say to patients? who say, I don't need the vaccine, I already had COVID.
2: Well, they have, they have, and logic on their side, right? They do have some, they have natural immunity when you have, after you have a COVID infection. Um, I talked to them about the fact that because it's a new virus, we have no idea how long that natural immunity lasts. Um, and more and more we're seeing that people who have had COVID can get COVID again. Um, and there's no way to know how long one person's antibodies last and how long they're gonna be protected from COVID. Um, so, you know, we tell them they can wait the three months after they have gotten the infection um, to get vaccinated. Because um, for the most part, we we believe that the antibodies are at least in your body for three months, but we, they don't have to wait those three months. They can get vaccinated as soon as their quarantine period is over um, to get, you know, the um, antibodies that the vaccines provide. Yeah,
0: okay. Um, and I know that at first the vaccine was only approved for people 18 and over. Um, but eventually it was approved for people, uh, I believe, went down to 16, and then it went down to 12. Yeah. Um, and there are studies being done now on, on children younger than 12. Uh, you are a pediatrician, um, uh-huh. so a number of your patients would fall in this category. But uh, I wonder if you can talk about you know, children 12 to 18 and their parents, what are some of the concerns that are coming up, and how do you encourage vaccination among that population? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I think one of the biggest concerns that we we get from parents is um, the fertility issues for their children in the future. I'm not sure where the I'm not sure where it came from, but um, I tell you know I explain to them that there is absolutely no evidence that the vaccine has any um, effect on your reproductive organs. I'm also pregnant now so I tell them I got my vaccine in December and I'm pregnant now so I prove my show my belly and I prove it that way.
0: So, you know, speaking of children um, and health, uh, we're going to be going back to school pretty soon. Um, CPS is starting at the end of the month, um, and there are safety precautions in place. Um, there's masking, um, and, but a lot of kids within CPS are not eligible to be vaccinated yet. So what are some things that you're hearing from parents who are getting ready to send their kids back to school And what's the best advice that you can give to somebody to uh, keep their kids healthy as they're going back to school?
2: As a parent, um, I empathize with all the the parents who are fearing sending their kids back to school um, because I know there's a lot of anxiety around they're going back to school, even though they're going to have masks. I'm scared they're going to get COVID and I can't vaccinate and protect them. the American Academy of Pediatrics and the CDC recommend that the kids go back to school. I think there was a lot of um, academic loss during virtual learning. A lot of kids uh, struggled uh, to pay attention. And so a lot of grades fell. so I do recommend going back to school as long as all the safety measures are in place. So um, even though they're not vaccinated, they can wear masks and their desks can be uh, further apart. And different schools have made different accommodations for lunchtime. Some people eat lunch at their desks so that they don't have contact with anyone around or they keep they space them out on the long tables. Um, I actually live in Indiana and I. Um, during the this last year, actually, uh, during the pandemic, a lot of schools were in session, um, they never went to virtual learning. And um, personally, my niece and nephew were in school the entire time, and they kept their masks on the whole time. And there was um, maybe one or two COVID cases that during the academic year. So as long as all the protective measures are in place, and everyone's keeping their masks on, I think, um, and hopefully we can keep the, the COVID cases down.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'll just say anecdotally that, uh, you know, when it comes to mask wearing, my daughter is four um, and she's fine with it. You know, she wasn't at first for a few days. And then uh, her teachers and my wife and I explained the importance of it uh, patiently. And now she's totally fine with it and wears it second nature um, and knows that she's keeping herself safe and others safe. So um, Mm -hmm. it seems like kids in some respects are doing better than than adults when it comes to- So many, math. so many
2: perspectives. One of the reasons I became a pediatrician is because kids are so resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, kids, my kid is two now and he will keep a mask on when we go to the store. So um, I think just having the conversation when they obviously can understand they're fine with it to them it's like well i get to go back to school and be with friends and see my teacher i'll keep my mask on if that's what it takes i have had some parents who don't want their kids to go back to school and the kids are like please please let me go back to school um so yes kids are incredibly resilient um love working with them
0: yeah yeah right. Well, I think we've covered a lot about the importance of vaccination. Um, The Southwest Collective is going to be doing a vaccination effort in Garfield Ridge in particular, and we're working with a lot of other community organizations um, with the Department of Public Health, with the Southwest Organizing Project, and there are efforts, similar efforts, in um, communities throughout the Southwest Side, and I know Esperanza is part of that as well. Yes. Um, So, Is there anything else that you want to talk about in terms of putting COVID behind us, in terms of vaccination, in terms of uh, health on the Southwest side in general?
2: Yeah, so I think just the overall message is, um, please get vaccinated if you have fears, if you have concerns, doubts about the vaccine, its safety, its efficacy, Please just make an appointment with your provider um, and we'll have that one on one conversation with you to kind of walk you through the science and walk you through how we got to get the vaccine and how millions of people have gotten the vaccine without any uh, major um, side effects. Um, And I think just one of the other messages is I know you might still be scared of getting COVID, but we do think it's vitally important that you see your primary care doctor um, to be evaluated annually and to follow up on any chronic conditions or any concerns that you have about your health. Um, in clinics and in hospitals, obviously, all staff and providers are required to wear masks. So we also take all the safety measures in order to keep both uh, our patient population and ourselves safe.
0: All right, Dr. Savedra, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All right, that was, uh, I thought, a great interview with Dr. Sabedra. We got a lot of really good information, and it's especially pertinent now that uh, we're going to be going back to school. Today is the first day back for CPS, or it will be when this episode airs. Um, Jose, can you talk a little bit about what you're anticipating for back to school and what
1: parents and students ought to keep in mind? You know, I thought this was a very timely episode to know, especially locally, you know, what's available to the community in terms of healthcare needs, um, and thinking about COVID long-term. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think a lot of parents, um, a lot of students, a lot of teachers, there's going to be a lot of getting used to, uh, the normalcy and, and the formality of it all. Um, and, uh, you know, like anything at school, you come, you do, we combat that with more information grounded in facts and knowledge and, uh, and do the best you can. So, like, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, seeing what, what we got.
0: Yeah. And coronavirus is new. So, of course, we've all been learning this, um, at the same time and we've been adjusting as we have to. Yeah. Um, it's interesting too because, you know, high schools, students will be able to get vaccinated because everybody over the age of 12 is is able to get vaccinated 12 and over um but in elementary schools it's a it's a different situation so i wonder if you have any thoughts on that too high schools versus elementary schools and and uh what that might
1: look like you know we um definitely have to keep an eye on variants that are prevalent in you know that age group You know, there are kids that uh, get sick right before their 12th birthday. You know, well, Fox News has these horror stories, but I mean, it worked on me. It's like, oh, my goodness, that's so that's so unfair. Um, So uh, I I certainly hope that uh, we take any uptick, you know, in the students very seriously, very early, but at the same time, um, not needlessly freak them out. You know, like if like we could make it to like, you know, like Thanksgiving or like Christmas without having to lock down schools. You know, I'll eat my words that, you know, we can do okay, but, um, you know, I'm just hoping that what we have available in the community in our neighborhood will be enough.
0: Yeah, and it seems like with the studies that are going on now that uh, at least one and potentially multiple vaccines may be available to children under the age of 12 in the relatively near future, so. The sooner we can get to that, the more people we can get vaccinated, obviously. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to mention, speaking of back to school, um, the Southwest Collective did a back to school event last weekend um, at Pasteur Park in West Lawn. And it was a really great event. We had a really great turnout. Uh, there's obviously a lot of enthusiasm in the community. We were giving away backpacks. We had a DJ, all uh, this sort of thing. Um, but I just wanna read a message that I got from our VP, Enrique, because he really laid out everybody that contributed to this. Uh, and there there may even be you know, a few people missing from this, but I just wanna give people an indication of what it takes to put on an event like this. Um, and also the fact that we can always use volunteers if people are interested in, in signing up and helping. Um, so Enrique says, I definitely want to give a huge shout out to Nicole, who's on our advisory board, and Route 66, uh, which is a garage. Uh, Ari, who is on our board, and Adriana, who is also on our board, who all donated towards school supplies. Uh, We split it it four ways, and they helped pack and prep everything. Uh, Myra, who is also on the collective board, um, helped pay for half of the DJ and the United Credit Union, donated the e-learning supplies. Um, The Mendoza family uh, donated the cupcakes and helped cover for the DJ as well. Uh, Melissa and Rolando, Rolando also on our board. Um, Get thanks for helping us prep and volunteering the day of. Uh, Shannon, Susie and Marlene, thank you for leading the art activities. Uh, We have art activities for kids at a lot of events we do, including freebies for families um, and this back to school event. And that's always a great way to engage kids uh, of course can't forget uh miss elvia rincon and gladys nava from pasture for giving us the space uh, that's always important and giving a shout out to local businesses like Coco's, which donated the pizzas and naya's sweets which made the cupcakes um, and route 66 auto service for school supplies and respachos for paletas and ucu for the e-learning supplies so as you can see, a lot of individuals, a lot of uh, institutions within the community really pitching in and helping on this. Um, there've been back to school events you know, throughout the Southwest side in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we were happy to do one. I was happy to see the one um, that, uh, that took place at Edwards that we kicked this episode off with. And uh, yeah, so we're gearing up. Thank you to everybody who volunteered. Um, and if you're interested in volunteering, please do reach out to us on social media and uh and we'll be back in touch. So all right. Until next time. Until
1: next time.